It's Monday, August 3rd, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I have a theory about African megafauna. But first, before my theory, let's go through the facts. Saturday, the Zimbabwe Conservation Task Force was emphatic on its Facebook page. It declared Jericho the lion dead. It is with huge disgust and sadness that we have just been informed that Jericho, Cecil's brother, has been killed at 4 p.m. today, the Zimbabwean Conservation Task Force said. ABC, CNN, MSNBC reporting Jericho dead. Ah, no. Let's go to USA Today headline, status of Jericho the lion disputed. Oh, it's like the Kashmir region. Or that one catch that one time in the Baltimore Ravens game. Or the Israeli settlements. Some say there's a biblical claim to Jericho the lion. Others say a strict reading of UN Resolution 242 should determine the fate of Jericho the lion. Well, dispute all you want. Jericho is alive. He is alive. Now, you remember Jericho, right? If not, there was that helpful gawker caption which read, CNN reports that according to a senior park official, Cecil the lion's brother Jericho, who is also a lion was killed on Saturday in Zimbabwe's National Park. But on our show on Friday, we quoted Johnny Rodriguez, head of the Zimbabwean Conservation Task Force, the guy who tweeted about Jericho dying. We quoted this guy saying that Jericho, as the next lion in the hierarchy, will most surely kill Cecil's cubs. But wait, about that statement too. CNN reports that the cubs are alive and they're likely to be defended by who? Cecil's brother, Jericho, who may have fathered some cubs himself. And that is according to Professor David McDonald, director of Oxford's Wildlife Conservation Research Unit. He says that male coalitions, often brothers, oversee prides in females in lion society. And any threat is posed by external incoming male lions, McDonald said. So the Oxford guy totally contradicting the Zimbabwe guy about who's going to save or who's going to kill the Cubs. The Zimbabwe guy also getting totally wrong if Jericho was alive or dead. Now, I have to say a lot of my information comes from CNN, and the headline on CNN is confirmed Jericho the Lion is alive. But I noticed the URL for that headline is CNN.com slash, then they give the date, slash, Cecil, the lion brother, Jericho, illegally killed. All right, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. We got Johnny Rodriguez saying the Cubs are going to be killed by Jericho. Oh, wait, Jericho's dead. Oh, wait, Jericho's not dead. Oh, wait, it turns out the Cubs will be saved by Jericho. Then we get another Zimbabwean official today pointing the finger at another medical practitioner naming this doctor from the Pittsburgh area as someone who is also poaching lions. Well, when I said naming him in the official documents, they actually got his name wrong, but news sources, the internet pieced it together. And now there's, I'm not going to say a witch hunt. I mean, someone's been killing lions, but there's certainly an internet mob pretty upset at this American doctor. Look, I think we have documented the reliability of Zimbabwean officials. All I am saying is, I know you love a good internet mob, internet people, and I know you love lions, internet people, and I know you hate American doctors who are accused of killing animals, but let's just pause. Can we just pause before the lynch mob forms for this other guy? Let me speak to you in internet, okay? When it comes to lynch mobbing this next doctor, picture a cute lion face and big white block letters on top, let's all, and on the bottom, P-A-P. 
WS. Let's all pause. On the show today, Trump, 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 Trump. The folly of trying to de-Trump the Trumpification process in the face of Trumponomics. But first, right now, with an empirical analysis of Distrumption 2015, it's Harry Enten. So the other day, Donald Trump said this, name one country the United States has better relations with because of Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. And I remember thinking, uh, all of Africa? But here's the thing about politics today. There was a time when we could parse such a sentence and care. Politics today is just Trump being insane and everyone trying to either tack right or tack left or tack Trump. Well, we got a big debate coming up. The top 10, let's talk about this. The top 10 contenders will be on the stage. And oh yeah, Bernie Sanders is doing something. Well, joining me now is Harry Enten. He's the uh, stats guru and general bon vivant. Is that right? Am I saying that right in Yiddish? Bon vivant, Harry? I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> Harry writes for 538 and we're going to talk polls and stats and empirical evidence. Hello, ma'am. Hello, and I should let you know that I had my Trump steaks for lunch, so I'm ready to go for this. What, what's a Trump steak? When it comes to great steaks, I've just raised the steaks. The Sharper Image is one of my favorite stores. That's why I'm thrilled they agree with me. Trump steaks are the world's greatest steaks, and I mean that in every sense of the word. You know, he's doing well in the polls, and I've read much about, well, pay attention to when those polls are taken because there's the post-McCain polls. Nothing seems to have damaged him at all. No, I mean, Trump is clearly the leader both nationally and New Hampshire among Republicans. But remember what we're talking about. We're talking about 20 percent of the vote of mostly these are polls of registered Republicans. Among likely Republicans, he's a little lower, but he's still leading. But remember, it's still so early, so early. That's true. But if it were any other candidate who we deemed plausible, I think it would be more impressive. And that's not wrong to be more impressed. If Jeb Bush were where Trump is in the polls, we'd be using phrases like more than front runner. We'd be using phrases maybe like uh, at this point, likely candidate. Right. I think, you know, there are a few things that we have to think about with Trump, why we think of his candidacy as a joke, besides the fact that he's Donald Trump and he does all the things that Donald Trump does. One, we talk about the favorable ratings. You know, you can ask voters, do you have a favorable or unfavorable view of the candidates? And even though Trump is, you know, ahead in the horse race polls, he's about split favorable and unfavorable rating among Republicans, both nationally and in New Hampshire. So if we compare Trump to others who have made the uh, gut pleasing populist message, right? People have talked about Herman Cain, Michelle Bachman going back further. Buchanan did this. Does Trump compare to them or does he outstrip where even they showed in the polls? He certainly outstrips Buchanan. If we're thinking about the 96 race, Bob Dole was always well ahead nationally. I mean, it was only a last minute surprise that Buchanan was able to break through and win in New Hampshire for thinking about Bachman. Then actually Bachman was further ahead in Iowa right now than Trump was. And if you're thinking about Kane, Kane came on a little bit later, but he was also higher where Trump was right now. Whoever will come around to beat Trump, I would say right now has, by any objective measures right now, has worse numbers than Trump. Well, I mean, they have worse. I don't just mean poll numbers. I mean... You know, Jeb Bush has more endorsements. You can't really go by money. But whoever beats Trump will have 
pulled an upset, that individual, not the whole field, but whoever beats Trump, I, I think will have in some way upset him or will he upset himself? I don't know. Well, I would say that anyone who wins this Republican race has pulled an upset. That's no, true. no candidate has at this point better probably than a 25, 30 percent chance of winning the nomination. The field in all cases is going to be the quote unquote favorite. But again, it comes back to this idea. Do you really believe that Donald Trump has broad support within the Republican Party because people really like Donald Trump for everything that he is? Or does he have broad support within the Republican Party because his name is just out there so often? And we come back to the favorable ratings that I spoke about before. The favorable ratings suggest that Donald Trump's support really isn't that broad within the Republican Party. And if you look and you you ask voters, who is the one candidate you wouldn't vote for? Donald Trump overwhelmingly wins that race. He gets a higher percentage of I absolutely won't vote for than people who say currently they're going to vote for him. Is that accurate, by the way, when people say that? Do people stick to that? I mean, one thing to keep in mind with this is when before Trump entered the race, his favorable ratings were far worse than they are now. So, of course, minds can change as we get further and further on in the debate cycle and into the you know actual primaries. But Trump is going to be Trump. Trump is going to make statements that are, by most measures, insane. And that doesn't really bode well for his candidacy. And I'd also point out, remember, we had a lot of these spikes back in the 2012 cycle. We had a lot of candidates making stupid statements that helped drag them down. And if there's one thing that Donald Trump is good at, it's making statements that, by most measures, we consider insane or dumb. Yeah, but is there anything to the uh, idea that he makes so many statements? I mean, he's such a, sh- a blunderbuss that one statement can't possibly sink him. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. I don't think it is one statement that would, would you know, will hurt Donald Trump in the end. But it's the mountain of evidence. You know, my father was a former ADA. He was a judge. And he always said it's the mountain of circumstantial evidence that gets you in the end. And my father's a pretty smart guy, and and I believe it applies to Trump equally well here. It's going to be the mountain of evidence that will get him in the end. I think it's conventional wisdom that who he really hurts are people like Chris Christie who weren't really going to win anyway. It's pretty clear. But is there anyone he helps? I think that, you know, if there's an argument that he helps anybody, it's probably that he helps someone like a Jeb Bush, someone who's already up there who wants to say, hey, Look at this clown up here. I'm a real serious candidate. You want to win in the fall of 2016. Choose someone like me who's making actual statements about policy and who can appeal to more voters than just the Republican base. And so we're going to see if Jeb Bush is going to be able to take advantage of that going into the debates and whether or not he tries to draw a contrast with Trump. We've already seen Rick Perry try and draw a contrast with Trump as being, you know, a real conservative. But it actually really hasn't helped Perry at all. Right. Because Trump could diffuse that by saying, I see uh, Rick Perry the other day and he's so, you know, he's doing very poorly in the polls. He put glasses on so people will think he's smart. And it just doesn't work. You know, people can see through the glasses. Let's talk about the polls and let's talk about what they mean. They will determine who gets invited to this first debate, August 6th. At a certain point, invitees number 8, 9, and 10, do we really know that who's ever polling number 8 it doesn't really have only the 11th most support. I mean, we're talking about, well, you tell me, in a national poll, we might be talking about the difference between one person and two people saying, I support Carly Fiorina. Right. So it depends how close the competitors are to one another. You know, if eighth place is at 7% and 10th place is at 2%, then that eighth place person probably is ahead of where that 10th place person is. But if we're dealing with, say, the difference between 5% and 4%, and even for averaging, you know, 
five polls that, you know, all together have a sample size of 3,000, the difference between 4 and 5% is not statistically significant. And it's, there's certainly no difference between, you know, 2.3 and 2.4%, which could end up being the difference between the 10th and 9th spot. So to me, it seems a little ridiculous that that's exactly how we're going to be determining it. And I should also add, who are these people who are actually getting polled? Are they registered Republicans? Are they likely voters in their primary or caucus? Are they people who say that they lean Republican but are actually independent? We don't really know. It's up to the pollsters to decide who they're going to choose. And based upon those decisions, they could upset the polling average and someone might be in or out because of it. Right. At the very bottoms, at candidates number nine or 10, for a decent national poll, if they're at one or two percent, how many people would be asked for a decent national poll? And then how many people have to say, I support this guy to register at one or two percent? I mean, most of these national polls are like 500 people. Yeah. And if you're at 1% of 500 people, that's five people. Or if they weight it differently, they might, you know, um, women might be not answered the phone. Like only 100 women may have answered the phone. So every woman gets counted, you know, twice or three or four times. Right, exactly. Even though most of the Republican Party is white, there are some Hispanic people who are part of the Republican Party, some African Americans who are part of the Republican Party. And so you could be dealing, you know, with whether they wait up, you know, the one African-American responded from one to two, that little waiting up could make it so that he had one voter and now he has two. And that gets him, you know, from four percent to five percent in the polls. And that was all that was going on in order to get that. And that could make all the difference in the world in terms of who gets invited. When we say not statistically significant, the difference between one and two percent, do we mean there is just no difference. Or do we mean we can only say with, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 percent certainty that there's a difference? Statistically significant is usually defined as being the 95 percent confidence interval. And for, you know, in some instances, when we're dealing with 2.4 versus 2.3, then that's even, you know, 55 or 60 percent confidence interval versus four or five. It might be more like 65, 70, 75 percent, depending on the sample size. Right. So the right now, one of the last spots might be occupied by Chris Christie, Rick Perry, or John Kasich. I've seen some polling where he's even better than 10th. Has yeah, It's very small. It's only 2%. But has he done relatively well? Oh, Kasich has gotten better in the polling. The Quinnipiac poll that was out on Thursday had him at 5%, which is much better than the polling, his highest, I believe, highest number of the year so far, at least tied for it. And this was a fairly smart move. you got to give the Kasich people credit here, where they decided we're going to announce last. And that's going to get us a little bump, a little more news coverage as we head into these final five polls that are going to help determine who are part of the Fox News debate. And it does seem to have paid off because Kasich is seeing his highest poll numbers of the year. And the five polls that are going to be taken are be right before the debate. All right. Let's talk about empirical evidence, polling, and Hillary Clinton. Hillary is most certainly going to win. The Democratic nomination. Yes. I would say that Hillary Clinton has a better shot of winning the Democratic nomination than I have of getting married in the next 10 years. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know how to judge that. <laughs> I, I would judge that as she has a very good shot. There is some universe in which that doesn't happen, but that either relies on her dying okay. or they find out that she killed somebody outside of a Kmart in 1969. If you do get married, will it be to Bernie Sanders? 
I mean, I have an affinity for New York Jews. There's no doubt about it. And especially old New York Jews like my father. That's right. But, uh, Brooklyn I, roots. Brooklyn roots. I mean, I'm more of a Bronx than I my, myself. But, you know, I, I would say that Bernie Sanders and I share some common ancestry. Does his historically does his strength and put into context how strong his strength is? Because I don't care if he drew 15,000 people to one event. It's one event. So how strong is his strength and what does that tell us in terms of her weakness? Look, he is very strong among a certain subset of Democrats, very liberal Democrats, white people. I mean, look at those crowds. They're pretty much all white people. And so he's going to do very well in the Iowa caucus and do very well in the New Hampshire primary. But again, it's how you define very well, 25, 30 percent of the vote. If you look at the polls right now in Iowa and you look at the polls right now in New Hampshire and you look at the polls right now nationally, the best analogy that I can think of is the 2000 Democratic primary, which was Al Gore versus Bill Bradley, where Gore was leading nationally by a lot, but was struggling in a state like New Hampshire. And of course, Bernie Sanders is from right next door in Vermont. And these poll numbers just look a lot like that race. And remember, Al Gore even pushed out one campaign manager and brought in another one. And at the end of the day, though, he won that nomination going away. He won all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. And his only one scare was in New Hampshire, which he only won by about five percentage points. But he won easily. And I don't think that there's any reason at this point to believe that Clinton won't win easily unless there's some wild card, something happens that isn't right now on the table. Is there any history for a candidate who is tested being stronger or a candidate who is untested being weaker? I mean, Gore was hurt by Ralph Nader. I don't think today we look back and say, well, if it weren't for Bill Bradley bloodying him a little bit, he'd have been stronger in the general. No, I mean, this is a situation whereby most people are not going to remember this primary come the general election. That's usually the case unless you make some policy choice that really comes back to bite you. And I haven't heard Clinton say anything that she wouldn't otherwise say that most voters will particularly care about. Harry Enton is senior political writer and analyst for 538. Thank you, Harry. Shalom. And now the spiel in other political news. Meet the Press had a bombshell. This Sunday, a potential political bombshell. A potential political bombshell. Word that... Okay, after word that. The word after word that should be a groundbreaking word. It should upend the race. It should take our expectations out back, make our expectations dig a shallow grave, and then shoot our expectations in the back of the head, executioner style. Let's wait for those earth-shattering words. Word that Joe Biden... All right, do we really have to listen to the end? You know what? I'm a nice, open-minded guy. I will let Chuck finish the sentence. Word that Joe Biden is now seriously considering taking on Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. Wow, that is earth-shattering. A guy who can't win might still run, and if he does, it won't matter because he can't win. That's less a bombshell and more a crispy pastry shell. At least, it's a tidbit. Let's take that pastry shell, let's use it in the service of a tiny little spinach pie, some past hors d'oeuvres. And it really is an hors d'oeuvre, because how can even the most hype-proned of media compete with Trump? You can't compete with Trump. Listen to how everything pales in comparison to Trump. Hillary Clinton wants to get some attention for her first TV ad of the campaign. Wait, you say? What about that ad when she said she was going to fight for everyday Americans? Remember that one? I'm getting ready to do something, too. I'm running for president. Aha. That wasn't her first 
TV ad. That was an internet ad that just happened to be played about 15,000 times on television. What I'm going to play you now is from her first TV ad, which I, of course, because I'm a normal person living in 2015, which I found on the internet. I think about all the Dorothys all over America who fight for their families, who never give up. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I've always done this for all the Dorothys. Let's do it for the Dorothys. I will be the president of Dorothys. That is my solemn vow to you. If your name is Dorothy, you will be the beneficiary of my programs. Yes, I am talking to you, Dorothys, who were born in 2014, representing 0.02% of the total female population. But in 1920, I'm also talking to the Dorothys who are still alive, who were born in 1927. That year, 35,982 Dorothys were born. I'm going to do it for the Dorothys. You know what, Hillary? Maybe you should get back to us when you do it for the Madisons. Because I'm just saying that Dorothy might not be on the cutting edge of names anymore. Oh, wait. It's not just for people named Dorothy. I get it. It's for her mom. Her mom was named Dorothy. So Hillary wants us to know that if you are exactly like her mom, she will fight for you. And not just having the same name as her mom or actually her mom who passed away, but even roughly akin to her mom. Meaning if you grew up without a lot of resources, meaning if you were resilient, meaning if you raised your own family, meaning if you had a child who became a first lady, a senator, and the secretary of state. You know, isn't it weird? Let's think about what makes Hillary Clinton special. What, we might even argue, qualifies her for the job of president. She was a first lady. She was a U.S. senator. She was secretary of state. She was an accomplished congressional staffer. She was on the law review. She was a top lawyer, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing that makes her the exact same as everyone else ever born on this planet. She has a mother. And let's go beyond that and say she also loved her mom. That's just the vast majority of people born on this planet. So which one do we emphasize to get this woman elected? We emphasize the fact that she has a mom. This is not even a criticism of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton also had this other ad. She talks about being a fighter, some more tangible accomplishments. You just know that inside the Hillary Clinton campaign, she has these numbers. She's looking at the poll numbers on cares for people like me, and she's not doing well. So they say, here's what we got to do to get you elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accomplishments. Sure, sure, sure. Intelligence. Mother. You had a mother. What's more, you loved your mom. Who doesn't want to vote for someone who loves their mom? And not just anyone, but really, yeah, kind of just anyone. Just someone who loves her mom. Am I being cynical? Am I being dismissive? Am I being sexist? Maybe so. But don't ask me. Ask my mom. Her name's Neela. She's a retired teacher. And I love her. And what's more important, I have a mom. I want to be president. And I have a mom. Neela Pascasan approved this message. And that's it for today's show. Producer Andrea Salenzi will, according to the Zimbabwe Ministry of Agriculture, Mechanization and Irrigation, be converted into a canal in calendar year 2019. Managing producer Joel Meyer, according to sources within the Zimbabwean Ministry of Environment, Water and Climate Resources, has the studied lawn of an extremely aggressive gazelle. Andy Bowers, the GIST's executive producer, if indications from the office of the Director General of the Zimbabwe Parks and Wildlife Management Authority are to be believed will be leaving the threatened list and be added to the naughty list. Well, it's a Monday, another day, another dollar, another day, another foray 
into the trove of musicality from They Might Be Giants. They Might Be Giants' dial-a-song number is 844-387-6992. Every Monday, they come on the show and debut a song for us. They also play monthly gigs at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, regular scheduled monthly gigs. They, They announce them beforehand. There's plenty of publicity, which is weird why someone might say of They Might Be Giants, I haven't seen you in forever. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm so sad because I missed you so much. I missed you so much. I'm so, so sad. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm so sad because I missed you so much. I missed you so much. I'm so, so sad. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm so glad we're together again. Together again. I'm so, so glad. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm so annoyed because I forgot how much you bugged me. I forgot how much you bugged me. I'm so, so annoyed. Go away and leave me alone. No, you go away. No, you go away. No, you. 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 Since we've been apart, I see that I cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. I don't ever leave me. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm so glad we're together again. We're together again. I'm so, so glad.